You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am your host, David Delaney, with my honored guest today, Mr. Florin Tatulia of Lupio. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. You were a, uh, a recommendation to get on the show from Mr. Scott Ingram. So, Scott, thank you if you're out there listening. And Florin, you know, you're coming up through the ranks there from sales development. Now you're account executive. If people don't know you, can you give us a little download on how you got into this profession? Yeah, definitely. So it started quite a long time ago. I think sales has always kind of been in my blood in some regards. I started selling newspapers door to door when I was 14, uh, kind of led that fashion throughout university and then started as the first SDR actually at Lupio. So that, that's really how I got into things and then went through the ranks, became a team lead, helped build out the team, recruit some of the team members, and then eventually made my way to the account executive role where I am now. Nice. Okay. And give us a little background on Lupio. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing and who you sell to. Yeah. So it's a quite a specific type of software. So we're an RFP and security questionnaire response platform. So essentially, we help sales teams respond to these types of requests that are coming in throughout the sales cycle a lot faster so that they could focus more on their day-to-day and actually selling as opposed to working on these documents. Yeah, which is amazing because I remember back in the day, I was selling sales training for a number of years. And we also had leadership training and customer service training. So every once in a while, and somebody would bring in an RFP and everyone would just be like scratching their head. Like, <laughs> what the hell do we do with this thing? And do you want to invest like a ton of time into something that may just go into a black hole? So I could, I could see how there was a big need for something like what you guys are doing. Yeah, exactly. Let's just say that most salespeople do not enjoy doing these types of requests. So they're quite pleased when they see the solution. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, cool. So that's that's uh, what Lupio is working on. And then, you know, Scott uh, Scott Ingram just released his book, The, the Secrets of the Top 1%, which you're actually featured in. So tell us about, you know, how you got into your, you know, getting to know Scott and, and what are some of the things that are, are pointed out in the book? Yeah. So it's actually kind of a funny story. Essentially, after my time as an SDR at Lupio, I noticed that a lot of the the people that were actually hitting up Lupio weren't that great in terms of their outreach to our co-founders and our senior leadership team. They actually shared a lot of the outreach that SDRs gave to them for us to take back as feedback. So after my time as an SDR, I kind of reflected and said, okay, now that I'm moving on to this AE role, what have I actually learned in this time period and how can I help people with very tactical advice? So I feel like in this day and age, a lot of people talk about, you know, mindset and more strategic kind of things, which which is great advice. But what I thought was lacking was that technical advice. You know, I'm an SDR today. It's great for me to have a great mindset, you know, wake up early, do all this stuff. But what do I actually have to do when I get into the office to become one of the best? So I actually wrote two articles at the time, which without me really knowing got quite a bit of traction. And I 
through that process, got introduced to Scott Ingram, went on his sales success podcast. And then after that, he, he's quite an ambitious guy. So he reached out to, to me and a bunch of other people that were on the podcast and actually built out a book amazingly in, in about five months was the whole process for that book. It yeah. just came out yesterday. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I got a copy here and um, excited to dive in. Now, this is really interesting because the mindset, you know, is super important for the SDR because it's such a tough job. But when you look at tactical things, like tell us more about, are there two or three things that, you know, you could think of that, that you came out of in your research that people could use? Yeah. So in the book, I actually go over quite a, quite a few things. One of the things that I'm really passionate about being more data-driven is something called A-B testing. So how do I actually use data from my outreach that I already have developed to become better uh, in that regard? So being able to test different types of variables like subject lines, different call to actions in emails, different times of of calling throughout the day. And there's a lot of different tools you can use out there in today's world to to gather this information and then really act upon it. So that's one big thing that I focused on, A-B testing. And then also just different methods around what kind of outreach should you do? What methods are best, whether it's cold calling, emails, videos, social selling, cadences I talk about quite a bit. So how many touch points should you actually have? What's optimal? What have I seen work for my research? When to call, different things like that. Okay, that's interesting because I think it's it's like the sales development job is an art and a science, it seems. You know, there's the art of just being able to communicate with people and build a relationship really quickly, but then there's also the science. And you mentioned you're data driven. You know, if someone's trying to dip their toes into the, this whole A B testing and they're maybe they're they have to do it by themselves, what are some ways that they can start start mm-hmm. doing that? Yeah, so there, I think there's a few th- factors that you can start A-B testing with quite simply. It obviously helps if you have different types of sales engagement tools. So for example, at Lupio, we use SalesLoft for a lot of our outreach, and that comes with different reporting type of capabilities, right? And A-B testing doesn't necessarily have to be done through a sales engagement platform like that. You can do it yourself as well, maybe tracking it in Excel sheet or whatever. But a few key things to really look at would be email subject lines is one. So testing out different things and sending it to a specific sample of people to see over time what performs better and then choose that top one and then sub in something else to compete with that one. It's almost like a tournament bracket, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And then also, I mentioned this call to actions in an email or even like the wording in your body text. So what's your first sentence? What's your value proposition? And, And you can test those different things. Okay. And then how does it, if you turn it around, it's like the data, I would think plays a big role in it as far as the contact data. So it's like, there's certain types of people that you're going to send, send these messages out to. Do you batch them into like a a grouping where, okay, I'm going to send my A email out to a group of VPs of sales that kind of fit into this persona. And then the next day I'm going to send out B and we'll see what performs better. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you set up that contact data set? Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's important because the thing with A-B testing is that you have to keep most of the variables the same and really only change one variable to see if that's actually what's changing things in terms of the data, if that makes sense. So I would actually have two sequences where I'm just changing, let's say, the email subject line, and I'll try to keep everything else the same. So the, the body text, the time that I'm sending out the emails at, the persona that I'm sending the email to is also really important because typically a VP of sales, they usually have the same type of structure in their day. Obviously, their days vary compared from VP of sales to VP of sales. But as much of the variables as you can keep consistent as possible, the better that data is actually going to be in terms of that one factor you're trying to change. Yes. Okay. And that's really interesting because it seems like getting to know those personas at some level, you know, when you come in, like a lot of the training that people do for sales development is, you know, this is our product. Here's how to use sales loft. Here's how to, you know, use the phone and stuff like that, but they don't talk as much about here's what a VP of sales, you know, day in the life looks like here are their problems, you know, here's how to do the messaging. And so, you know, it seems like step one is like, you know, let's group up this persona into a, into a, a hundred people. And then we need to know what they, what their schedules like and what might appeal to them. And then, then we'll do the A test and then we'll do the B test. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. And then, you know, you said that, you know, the methodologies beyond that. So you would come in, you say, say your, your AB test reveals that there's a, a certain trend that you should follow in changing up the message. How does that affect the other things that you're doing? So as I mentioned, I use like that tournament bracket approach. So a lot of the times, and I'll I'll even give you an example of an A-B test that I ran because I I think this is quite interesting because you never want to underestimate the effects that little things can actually do to really positively or negatively impact your outreach. So one A-B test that I ran was actually with email subject lines where the only thing that actually changed in the subject line was changing the, the first letter in the first word from a capital to a lowercase. And what I found after sending that to hundreds of people was that the one with the lowercase subject line actually increased my open rates by 9% in, in that particular sample that I run. And that was really interesting to me. And I, you know, you can kind of think about why that might be. I think one of the reasons was because it's more informal if it's in all lowercase letters. So people tend to think it's from an actual person is one of my hypotheses. But then I'll take that subject line and then when I'm running my next sequence in, in the next step, I'll consider using just lowercase letters for the, the subject lines and then maybe changing another variable, which is the actual wording in that subject line. Does uh, that make sense? Yeah, definitely. That is really interesting because it seems like this, is, this would be something you would consistently be running. I mean, are you running this constantly with your messaging or, or do you kind of do it for a week and then come back and check it? How, do, how often mm-hmm. do, are you work, like fiddling around with this? Yeah, so you want to make sure that your results are statistically significant. So I ended up taking stats back in, in college, which really helped me out. But essentially, you want to make sure that your results are not based on chance and that you're giving the data enough, you know, enough data to that reporting structure, I guess. So you want to make sure that in each A-B test, you're making sure that you have a sample size of at least 100 different people that you're going to send each test to, if that makes sense. Yeah. It totally does. So you start with 100 people. They're in a similar persona. You've got your basic message, and then you've got your slight variation of that, which you can be kind of creative with, the capitalization, things like that. And then, and then you, you run it, and then how long 
did, did you usually wait to see before you made a determination? So it, it depends how many people or what your funnel is. So if you're feeding a lot of contacts in through your cadences, for example, it could happen. You can do an A-B test pretty well within a couple of days just to see what the open or reply rates are, right? Okay. But typically, I would want to make sure that the higher number that you get, the better your data is going to be. So I would typically try to do each sequence to at least one to 500 contacts. It really depended. Got it. Okay. And let me ask you this. For, for people like, you know, a lot of people get into sales development and they didn't necessarily take a stats class or they're not yep. as analytical as you in running this. Where can they... Where can they get some help, maybe within the organization or online to help them to set up something like this? Mm-hmm. So not to self-promote here, but I actually have a full chapter in the sales success stories book just on A-B testing and oh, some nice. different methodologies and things to think about. But it's not actually that complicated. So a lot of the systems like Sales Loft Outreach, they have A-B testing built into them. So you can always just search up the knowledge bases there and, and ask questions to support, for example, to ask how you can A-B test if you have access to those types of systems, which, by the way, I think any sales development team should have. <laughs> of course, yeah. It's kind of table stakes now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's another thing too, is like, you know, if you're listening out there and this is anybody from whether you just started in sales development or you've been in there for 20 years and you're, you're in the management ranks or stuff like that, it's doing a little bit extra or maybe a lot extra, you know, to be excellent at your job versus just kind of coming in, punching the clock, like, getting out of there for happy hour, which, which a lot of people do. So you can actually like kind of separate yourself from the pack, you know, just by putting in a little bit more time, going into knowledge base, reading this book, going online, trying to find out these things to get a little bit better, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. I think people think A-B testing is really complicated and yeah, it's, it derives from statistics, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a very simple concept where you're just trying to figure out, you know, test a variable and see which one of your two options are actually better. And if you want, even I can give you some a sneak peek as to some of the things that I found out throughout my A-B testing over my year and a half in, in that specific role. So a couple of things I found out, one was using one or two word subject lines in emails drastically increases the open rates, something that I found. And it's kind of funny, you can even run an exercise. So if you don't believe me, anybody that's listening, go to your inbox and just generally look across your inbox and see what the average number of words in your inbox actually is. And I I tend to find that within mine, it's usually between five to seven words. So just think about sticking out like a source thumb and just having a subject line that's one word, maybe it's lowercase. It tends to increase the open rates on on emails. Another thing I found was in terms of A-B testing, through phone calls and timing. So calling outside of business hours was something that I really focused on. So a lot of the times directors, VPs, they're they're usually in meetings quite significantly throughout the day. So I always try to book my time blocks for when I actually cold called either in the evening. So Mondays, four to six, Tuesday to Thursdays, I realized in the morning was better. So between eight and 10 a.m. And then Fridays also between eight and 10 a.m. when people are kind of settling into the office as well. Okay, wait a minute. So Monday from four to six, and this is yep. just local time, wherever the person is. Yeah, exactly. And then you said Tuesday and Thursday is 8 to 10 in the morning? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then Friday, it was the same? 
earlier in the morning. Yeah, fr- yeah, Friday was the same. Okay. I'm not really sure. Again, I only have a hypothesis around why Monday mornings are not as good. I think it's because people are just generally <laughs> not feeling as great on Mondays in the morning and are probably just preparing for the week. That's just what my data found. And so for me, at the end of the day, you know, you can listen to all this industry stuff in different reports, but I think it's important and I encourage everyone to really use their own data for their industry and, and listen to the numbers as opposed to just trying to come to some kind of a conclusion without data. Right. Okay. And for the email, for the email, you know, that you can use the sales engagement systems like, like sales loft and for the phone calls, were you just, you know, keeping it down on like a notepad or how how did you, how did you come to the determination you were having better success at those times? So SalesLoft and Outreach, actually, you can call directly from the platforms and they run reports with graphs around when the connect rates are the highest as well. So it's done for you. Okay, gotcha. Nice. Okay, so you can use you can use that system to track that. And that's really interesting. What about Wednesdays and with the calls? So did you mention Wednesdays? So yeah, pretty much Tuesday to to Fridays, the the best time was 8 to 10 a.m. And then also 4 to 6 p.m. when the the workday's winding down was also the best. Okay. So it's just basically outside of hours. And again, you guys, this is, this is interesting or anyone that's listening, you know, he's mentioning, you know, this is outside of the normal time when people are working. And so it's, it's like, I'm just picking up from you that you're not a guy who like punches in zombies through the day and then you're out of there for happy hour. You know, he's, he's doing <laughs> what it takes to be able to track this. Okay. Interesting. And you also reminded me on the email the one word subject thing. I remember they did a big, a big study of the political emails that went out a few years ago. And the highest open rate subject line was just the word high. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and now it's funny because I go to my spam folder and there's like 27 emails where the subject line is high. You know, yeah. so, so somebody already figured that out. So you guys got to change it up. Yeah, exactly. That's another big thing I I talk about too, just changing it up and not being stuck on the success success of one specific thing. This is something that I did over one and a half years ago. This might not be relevant today, but the point is that use your own data, figure out what works now, and don't be stuck to that one method or that one specific subject line or time of day to call because things are always evolving. So you need to really trust your data and not be stuck on certain things because then you're just going to be left behind, right? And the the mass tends to, to follow. So once the mass has kind of hit those different types of strategies, that's no longer going to work. And then that's when you can use the the art side of of sales to figure out, you know, what's my next creative kind of outreach going to be? Okay. All right. And how did you, like, I'm just trying to figure out, like, in day-to-day life, how did you run these experiments? So would you come in and every day was kind of a blank slate? You check on your A-B test that you're working on, you're trying to make some determinations, and then you bring in the creativity. Like, how, what was a day in the life like for you when you were doing this? So you pretty much set up your your cadences and sequences. In a lot of these platforms, a lot of stuff is automated, right? So you just let those sequences run for one or two weeks. And then at the end of those sequences, you kind of, I sat down and pretty much looked at the data and said, okay, this is what's working. This is what's not working. For this next week, I'm now going to try this subject line or this call to action or calling during this time. Because you want to make sure that you're testing as many different possibilities as possible to actually understand what is working best, right? So I would say day-to-day, it didn't change that much. It usually over a period of a couple of weeks, and then you make a call within, at the end of that test and then try something new for the next two weeks. 
Got it. Okay. And then how did you, how do, how do you keep yourself on track with running the project? Like, did you have spreadsheet going of what was going on and where you were? Did you keep it in your head? Did you use like Asana or something like that? What, what, how did you keep yourself accountable to the A-B testing? So I, I think a lot of it is, I keep going back to this, but a lot of it is just tracked within these types of platforms Why, and it's why I think it's so powerful. So you don't really have to manually do anything else in terms of, of spreadsheets or anything like that. Cadences have all your sequences set up so that once you go into your workday, you know exactly what your tasks are, who you have to email, who you have to call, and then you can just run the report in two weeks and it'll tell you exactly what the numbers are. And then you can create new cadences the following week based on the data that you had before. Okay. And then the other big thing is just around time blocking in your calendar. So making sure that after the two weeks, for example, you actually have some time blocked off in your calendar where you, you know that that's your sacred time, where you're going to actually build out new cadences and be creative in terms of, of figuring out new email subject lines or new types of, of emails that you're actually going to write. Okay. So when you say sacred time, tell me more about that. So is that your creative time when you have to disconnect from all the technology and like go in and try to create something? What, what is sacred about that? Just sacred in the sense that everyone know, at the company knows that during, if I have my time block, I'm serious about it and no one can bother me during that time. So every day I'd have my time blocks for, okay, this is when I'm cold calling. This is when I'm going to be creating videos through, through Vidyard. This is when I'm actually going to be building new cadences and building new wording in my emails. So Everyone was knew that I was serious about those time blocks, and regardless of if you needed to come to me, you knew that that was my sacred time, and I was very specific about what I was doing in each time block. Wow. Okay. So this is huge. This is huge because I, we talk a lot about this on the podcast. Like people give over their calendar to other people's priorities and other people's agendas and things like that. And people just like give over their calendar and your time is your most precious asset. And it seems like you had a good understanding with the people at your company. They knew that you were, you had this sacred time block. How did you establish that with them, that this was really important? So I think luckily enough, that was something that came organizationally from, from the Lupio culture. I think it's something the co-founders pushed down as well and saying that, you know, we have to have this culture where we respect people's time blocks, even if it's someone like development. If they have two hours in the calendar that says do not disturb, they have their headphones in their ears. Everybody knows that no matter what, obviously, unless it's an emergency, you don't bother that person during that time. So I think it's just something that came from the top and was instilled upon us as employees and something that I learned early on and has been really helped me in terms of managing my time and also prioritizing things to make sure that I'm actually accountable and getting things done. Yes, I love that. Okay, so anybody on the call, if you're a manager, if you're running a team, this is the way to go. People, you got to own your calendar and make sure that your priorities are blocked out and people really respect that because your calendar, right? Your time is all that you have. Yeah. That's and it's really important in the SDR role just because it's such a high volume job where you're doing so many calls, so many emails, so many things can go off track. So you have to be disciplined about that or it's just not going to work out. It just, it just goes right off the track because and some of the stuff is really hard. You know, I mean, having to call people at, you know, five o'clock at night as they're on their way out to the office, <laughs> they're trying to go home and you're catching them on the phone. That's really yeah. hard. They're, they're not always going to be receptive, right, to your call. So being self-disciplined, man, I mean, that's, that's the key to this thing. Yeah. 
Really yeah, that's, that's definitely where the mindset kind of piece comes into play and then mixing it in with the data. I think it's really an art and a science at the end of the day. It really is. And this, this has been so helpful. Like I, I had one other question I wanted to ask you, but are there any other tactical things that you can share with us from the book? Or do you mind if I ask it? I had one other question I want to ask. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you, you did this job for, you know, a year or so, and then you got promoted. How did you keep a positive mindset and keep yourself excited to come in and do the research, look at the reports and get a little bit better every day while you were doing the job? Honestly, I think it comes from a bunch of different things. Some things are from within. I think another thing is just the going back to the culture and the organization that I work for. I love all the coworkers I work with. They're all super smart and they inspire me every single day. I was lucky enough to be here from and be really the first sales development rep, actually even sales hire. So having that that co-founder support has been really helpful to me. I think another thing just for, for myself, I, I came from a competitive sporting background. So I think it's just been instilled in me since I've been very young. I know it's not really great advice to give to other people saying, you know, it comes from within, but I think you sure. would kind of need to find what you're passionate about. And the reality is that there's probably a lot of SDRs out there that are not actually passionate about this and are just doing it you know, as you mentioned, for, for the paycheck or f- whatever that might be. So I encourage you to really think about what is something that you're passionate about? How can you wake up in the morning, say, not dreading going to work? That's something that I no longer have at all. So I think that's the, the main thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and so from a management perspective, it's like it's a recruiting thing. I mean, can you find people that get really excited about this and and can bring that energy to the team? And then from an individual perspective, it's like, you know, we we always say really do your due diligence before you get involved with a company or a product and you're going to be there for 8 hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day. So make sure that it's something you're excited about, or at least the people that you're getting involved with, you're excited about so that you can build that. So yeah, it's great advice. And even for managers, I think a big thing is don't just hire people because you need to fill the roles and you have a certain quota, not quota necessarily, but a certain number of people have to have in seat. I think it's so important to to pass on someone that maybe is a, is a B plus, but you know that in the long term, you need an A. And maybe you're going to sacrifice in the short term, but I can promise you that in the long term, I've just seen it from the experience that we've had here in the last three years, that it really does substantially impact the organization in the long term. Yeah, that's such a tough one because you need, you know, you need the appointments, you need the pipeline. Everyone's, you know, there's, there's like, say you're in a situation where you, you need to find four SDRs, you know, yesterday and you're just like, okay, you know, we got to get some people in here, but then you got to also play the long game in that this is your culture that you're building at your company. And you really want to get the best possible people on board. And it's like patience plus, you know, managing everyone's expectations. So yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, definitely. And there's the other part of, of retention, right? So what, what can you do? I noticed recently one of, one of the fun things that we did was having team-based spiffs, so like sales performance incentives, just in, instead of just doing it for like the SDR team or doing it for the AE team, kind of con- making a joint one where you have the AEs and the SDRs kind of working together just because you can use the AEs as mentors for the SDRs in many regards. And then just building that team chemistry really helps with re- retention and making sure that people are pumped up to come into work and are passionate and excited to, again, go out there and do these things that go above and beyond, like coming in a bit early or doing some extra, you know, data analytics or whatever that might be. 
Yeah, I love that. And, you know, some people have it set up where there's like a pod, like a territory strike team kind of where there's you got your your AE, your SDR, and even like your customer success person who works just in a territory. And it's like they're a really tight knit, you know, pod. And, you know, but I I really like that idea about Mm -hmm. having joint, you know, rewards for everybody, because we're all basically trying to go to the same thing. Why, why break it up into, you know, these arbitrary departments? So. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is great. Florin, I just appreciate so much you taking the time. I want to make sure everybody knows what, what's the official name of the book that came out? So it's uh, Sales Success Stories, Real Stories from uh, Real Sellers. Nice. Okay. And so I'll put a link to that in the comments on the podcast and be sure to check that out. And Florin, thanks again for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us on the Sales Development Podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much, David. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.